Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 50,000 people have listened to Mark's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to really help you reflect and think about your business, not just get out there in the trenches and do the business. What I try to do is I take different topics that I think are really relevant and thought-provoking, ones that you can not only listen to, but you can also kind of question for yourself, what's your perspective and take on some of these things? Additionally, what I try to do is have a thought leader, a thought leader in the industry who's either had some success, who's focused on the industry, looking at it from an editorial or economic point of view, to really help you, I think, understand a little bit more the context of your success. This podcast series is produced by Surefire Local, leading digital marketing organization, as well as supported by NARI, the National Association of the Remodeling Industry as well as Professional Remodeler Magazine. Encourage you to engage both in the associations as well as the magazine to really help you complement, I think, your lessons and certainly your learnings moving forward. You know, one of the things that I see that I look at that's kind of a demographic dynamic, and it's so important, and that is so many of the remodeling leaders, remodeling owners are getting older and older and older. And while that's kind of an obvious, kind of almost patronizing comment to make, I think it's really critical that as you kind of mature both the business, but also you, you start to think about the next steps. You start, start to think about those transitions in the business. And I would encourage, as I'm going to talk about in a minute here, when you do these kind of things, you need to think about them well in advance. Oftentimes, those transitions need to be thought about you know, 10 years in advance before the actual outcome of you making the transition yourself. Now, most people who've gotten into the remodeling business really love the remodeling business. They love the sticks and bricks. They have sawdust in their blood. They love creating joy in homeowners' lives. So I don't think as you think about transitions, it's necessarily pull off the Band-Aid or go sit on the beach and clip coupons. I think it's really more a matter of just you designing this transition as opposed to it happening to you. I spend a fair amount of my time actually working with, advising, counseling folks that really are focused on these transitions, whether it's passing them on to another family member, whether it's looking to sell the business, whether it's taking employees and trying to elevate them to the point that they can become leaders in the business in the future. And I can tell you this process of doing it, I think is really, really important. So there are a lot of different ways I think you can look at this topic. I I remember hearing an old friend about 15 years ago saying something really that was kind of hit a chord for me, and I I wrote about this subject on on a couple different columns, and that is the whole notion of rewiring, not retiring. You know, I think coming from the renovation remodeling business, the whole notion of renovating or remodeling, not necessarily just departing from it, is really kind of a refreshing way to look at retirement. The reality is you're going to have transitions that you're going to have to make, whether they're because of physical or 
purely from a, a desired point of view that you want to see changes. So it's a question of, again, whether you plan for it or whether you just let it happen to you. I think a relevant story, and I think to really zero in on this topic a little bit more specifically, I remember about 25 years ago, a very successful friend of mine uh, was telling me a little bit of story uh, about his business. And then I asked him, you know, what are your next steps? And he said something to me that I'll never really forget. And that is, Mark, I'm looking for someone to fire me. And when I heard him say that, just like any normal human being, being fired is kind of a negative connotation to it. It's disruptive. It's not necessarily what anybody really wants is to be fired or fire themselves in the business. However, when I heard that, what came to my mind at first was negative, but then it followed through by, wow, that's a pretty interesting way to look at it because you can't move forward unless you have someone that can push you forward. And if you can design that person behind you to push you forward and look for that person that can fire you, then you can have the freedom to do what you want to certainly do. So a few tips on this subject that you might want to consider. If this kind of resonates for you, that you want to have that person in place to kind of allow you the freedom and push you forward, let me just give you a few tips. Having gone through this process with many, many different people, including myself, I think it's really important. Number one, start early. You want to start as much as, I would say, five to 10 years before you want that actual transition to take place. Now, I know five to 10 years may seem like a long period of time, but when you kind of map it out and you kind of look at the mentoring and the nurturing process and certainly finding the right person with the right DNA, I think that's really, really critical and you need to do that early. If, in fact, you're thinking, okay, I want to transition out in the next year or two, doesn't mean you can't start it. You're just dealing with a sprint to the finish line as, as opposed to a very methodical process. The second tip would be that the person that you might want to have in this, since you have some time, may not even exist internally. I know one company I was working with, they were taking some inventory, and the person, quite frankly, a lot of talent within the organization, didn't really exist. So they had to start a process, a process that took them about a year to find someone that was in a related senior level position with another company that they were able to bring in, have a transition plan that lasted probably about six months to a year for that person, and then start to move them truly more into kind of a leadership role. One of the keys is you've got to look for the right DNA in addition to the right fit and the right culture. Usually using profiling systems are a great way to get the right DNA when it comes to uh, finding the right individual. The next thing is that leadership development really does take time and energy. And time and energy is really from you. I, I remember you know, years ago thinking about, okay, how much time and energy? If you look at yourself, in addition, a leader in your organization as a kind of a mentor, a coach, a professor, a teacher, whatever, for that next generation, that is what's going to be key to the success. So you're going to need to put in, let's say, more time one-on-one coaching them, more time putting in front of particular groups, 
You're also going to give them opportunities that, quite frankly, maybe even a little bit fabricated, but they're an opportunity for you to be able to see, can they step up and really move their game to the next level? I know getting out and having communication skills and doing public speaking is a great way to really develop your future leader. Number four is leverage a coach. Now, there is a certain amount you can do yourself, but the reality is they need a coach. Just like in any professional sports, you know, you need to have a coach. If you're a father and you have a son who you can certainly coach and nurture them along when they're in little league or junior kind of, they need to, once they get to a higher level, they need a professional coach. Now, I know this involves oftentimes some investment that you're making into the individuals, but the reality is you can actually see huge returns, but more importantly, they can move along more quickly. And now you have also a sounding board. You have someone else you can talk about this individual with uh, and find ways that you can coach them together. Number five in my list of kind of tips to get ready uh, is you got to get the team buy-in. Now, the reality is, is the team isn't necessarily going to buy in right away. This is going to take time, which is why you need to start kind of early. You need to put this person in, in a position that, quite frankly, they gain the respect of the other team members, other leadership managers, not necessarily just you have respect for them. One of the big mistakes in organizations I see all the time is the baton gets passed and there's not the respect of the new leader or there's not the same kind of appreciation of the new leader and everybody is thinking about the old leader in the business and it's not very successful. So by taking more time, really doing some behind the scene kind of politics, so to speak, in terms of that individual, giving them an opportunity to gain the respect and the buy-in from the team is important. And number six is maybe a little bit more pragmatic and practical, but it's really important as well. You are investing a huge amount into this. This investment needs to have a bow around it. It needs to be locked in. And the best way, I think, to lock the person in is, in fact, to think about different compensation programs or agreements. Oftentimes, you can have potentially a, a slow process of buying into the stock. But really, the ultimate goal is to have them transfer the leadership. So you've got to structure it in such a way that the opportunity is there, but the real windfall is later. The other thing you can do is look at deferred comp programs. Actually create a little budget for setting aside some money for deferred comp for not only this person, but maybe for other leaders. Because oftentimes, it's not a big reason that they leave, but if you have a deferred comp program, and they run the risk of being able to lose that revenue or lose that income as a result of living, uh, leaving, uh, the likelihood that they're going to stay with you is really much greater. It's sort of like in many ways having a little bit more of a marriage, counsel, marriage contract that would lock, lock them in a little bit more so that they're going to you know, work through the difficult things rather than just you know, give up and bail and move on to the next opportunity. So in closing on this topic, you know, the reality is you, you're going to have transitions. It's not going to be a question of weather. It's going to be a question of when. And you want that transition, obviously, to be as positive, not only for you and the team, but also this asset of the business can, in fact, have a lot more value if you position it the, cor the, the correct way. 
So again, I want to thank everyone for listening to this little opening remarks here. Also, stay tuned. We've got a great thought leader section coming up. And take care, everyone, and I'll speak to you soon. I want to thank everybody for listening to Remodeling Mastery. But just as much, I want to thank those that support this particular series. Now, first and foremost, I want to encourage you not just to listen, but to subscribe. And for those people that subscribe to this podcast or actually reach out to my producers, Surefire, a leading digital marketing organization, you'll actually receive a copy of one of my books that will help you take your business to the next level. This podcast series is actually supported by Professional Remodeler. Professional Remodeler is committed to help you understand and crack the code on your business. So I encourage you to try to spend the time reading the magazine and reach out to them and be a little bit more of a voice in the industry. I also encourage you to get involved, get engaged. The National Association of Remodeling Industry, NERI, is a wonderful organization that I've been involved with with most of my career and actually had so many opportunities as a result of that. And lastly, certainly, reach out to my friends at Surefire Local that will be able to help you with your business. Welcome back to Remodeling Mastery. I'm Mark Richardson, and we have a very special segment that we're excited about for 2019. Uh, It's actually a conversation, a conversation with uh, one of the remodeling thought leaders, uh, a thought leader that has had a very, very interesting kind of journey and path. And my hope in sharing this conversation is that you can actually map out how this path compares, what are some of the lessons learned, and how you can take your game to the next level as a result of getting some of these insights. So my guest today is Vince Nardo. Vince is the president of Reborn. Reborn is a uh, very large kitchen and bath focused remodeling organization that Vince will share a little bit more details in a moment about. And Vince has not only accomplished tremendous amount of things, but certainly is acknowledged as one of the leading remodelers in the country, one of the thought leaders, as well as as a member of the Harvard Remodeling Futures Program. So Vince, thank you for taking the time to join me today and uh, appreciate uh, you being here. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'm glad I can offer um, whatever experience I've gathered through the years to everybody else that's listening. Well, the good news is with experience, it usually comes with a lot of scars and bruises. So you, you've, had, you've had your share like I have in that. and Hopefully, uh, we'll help to, uh, with our listeners, help them avoid some of that. So let's, I'm sure I didn't do the you know, introduction of Reborn Justice. So why don't we start with, you know, who is Reborn? Sure. So it's a real quick story. You know, about 35 years ago, or actually take it back a little further in the early 70s, um, my brother and myself are the only, only two children of my mom and my dad, and we lived in Long Island at the time. And my dad was the youngest of 11 children. My parents were on welfare, and they decided at that point they didn't want to continue to raise my brother and myself in New York. And my dad is, by trade, a finished carpenter. So they left New York. We had a trailer, a station wagon, and we headed west, you know, to, to go for after the chase the dream. And when we ended up in California in the 70s, my dad had uh, realized that his um, skill set of kitchen cabinet refacing was not well known on the West Coast. 
so after working for some companies, he, uh, in the early eighties decided to, you know, branch off like every carpenter eventually does says, you know, I can do it better than my boss. I'm going to go start my own company. And so in 83, he founded reborn cabinets, um, in a little tiny 1200 square foot facility. So to fast forward, um, that time frame, you know, as the company continued to exist, it, it flourished because my dad had good carpentry skills and my mom being a real estate broker understood sales and marketing really well. So together they made a good fit and the company grew from 83 to today where we now have um, seven locations scattered throughout California and Nevada. And we employ um, just shy of about 500 employees and we still manufacture um, the original cabinet components that we did back in the eighties still today. Wow, quite a journey. So let, let's turn the focus a little bit more on you as president. Obviously, you were the you know, son of the owner, Vinny Nardo, but what, give us a little bit of insights of the, the path that, that, that you took and how you got kind of involved in the business. Yeah, so the business starting in, early, in the early 80s, I was still um, getting into high school at the time. And um, by the time I graduated high school, my the company started doing started growing and i realized at that point that my dad you know having relied on other people to work with him really needed to have a family member in place other than my mom that he could start delegating things to and trust to take care of the company so i joined the company actually dropped out of college and i um, joined the company in the late 80s and at that point you know i, I decided that i got married thereafter and looked at the business and said you know we need to grow this thing. We have something here. We, we've got a good system. Um, I mean, we had our first CRM on our Apple IIe way back in the 80s that we wrote. And so we had a good system, and we said, let's take the system to the next level. So I kind of looked at the business and said, if we can plan this and, and really understand the metrics of what makes this thing tick, at that point, it just needs to be a machine. And we can just continue to drop stuff in the top and basically produce money at the bottom end. So that's kind of how we looked at the business. And at that point, really, everything we've done since the late 80s, or everything we did in the late 80s, we still do today. It's just on a larger scale. The systems are the similar. The processes are similar. The thinking is similar. So we really literally just took the basic little tiny thing and just continued to expound on it and grow it to today. And so Now, you, your, a, your background, Vince, just to interrupt you for a minute, your background sure. obviously was like a lot of sons of owners really come into the business more from a sticks and bricks or a little sawdust in their blood. But it sounds like you got into the business based on your description with, you know, some real passion and interest in the processes and the technologies and elements. Maybe you can expand on that because that, that's, I think, a interesting kind of element in terms of how to grow something. Sure. So, you know, I've looked at this and I'm sure you have seen other, other companies out there as well, but a lot of guys, you know, they start a business because they literally are just good at the trade and they look at their boss and they say, you know what, I can be better. I can do it better than my boss. Not really realizing what the business requires to run the business. So when I came in, I have a, a very good analytical mind and I looked at it and I said, you know, this is a, a, a metric driven machine. And, and it's the same for any industry, but if you understand the smallest component of what makes that machine move, 
then all you got to do is continue down the road and all those components that interact like gears, if you will, grease the gears, make the gears bigger, figure out where you need to apply some more, you know, um, different ratios, if you will, and you can make this thing go faster and faster and faster. And that's really where I think we have differentiated ourselves from other, you know, maybe companies that haven't reached our size yet is we really don't, it's sad to say, but we don't really focus on the product we do because the product we do is already great. We focus on the systems that we need to have to make the product work. And that's what we really, really work on every single day. Now, you, do you have what obviously you'd consider a family business. Uh, you know, your, your, your parents involved, your brother's involved in the business, your son's involved in the business. You know, I say that kind of put it in a category of family business. And obviously you've, you've been able to accomplish pretty amazing things. Talk to us a little bit about that dynamic. You know, what, what would you say are some of the keys to success of having more of a family business versus a non-family business? Sure. Well, first thing I want to do is add another category. So there's the family business, the non-family business, and the category we're in, which I call the family with a business. And I think there when you, you can take that and add that little phrase in the center with us, the whole dynamic changes. A lot of people get into business and with a family business and they look at it and the family and the business become one. They merge together and really the business defines the family or the family dynamic defines the business. And we've got to be careful in those environments that we're able to draw a fine line or a definitive line between the family and the business. And so we've always looked at this thing as a separate thing where we work with its own separate issues and unique, unique as it may sound to everybody that has a family business, we're able to literally can come to work, have a disagreement on a process or a price or something we're working on, and then go straight from there to a family dinner with all, uh, I think today we have about 16 in our immediate family with the kids and everything. And we can all go sit around table, eat Italian food, have pasta, and not talk about work at all or anything that happened just hours before. And so I think that's really the key is you've got to look at this as a family with a business rather than a family business. Excellent. That's a wonderful uh distinction that I hope with many of the listeners that, you know, have that dynamic, whether it's a father, son, or a husband, wife, whatever it is, that they look at the business is kind of a, the patient. It's an entity in itself. And the family has that business, not necessarily is the business. So exactly. needless to say, you guys have a lot of sawdust in your family blood. You've got a lot of experience, probably with the 16 family members with and so many of them tied into the business, you've got hundreds of years of experience. What, what do you, Vince Nardo, love the most about this industry? You know, I, I, the, the best thing about this business is that it is every day is different. You know, we're not making widgets. We're not making tires. You know, we're not making the same thing over and over again. We're dealing with new customers. We're dealing with new challenges. We're dealing with new opportunities every single day. And I myself will literally get bored if I'm not seeing a new opportunity to reinvent something or deal with something or, or change something that's going on. And I kind of drive my senior leadership team crazy sometimes because I'll come to work, sit in my office and go, you know, 
yeah, we're doing 400 kitchens and baths a month, but this is boring. Let's go out and open up a branch up in Sacramento and see if we can't stir the pot. So I'll do that because I, I like the challenge. And I think everybody that's listening that's in the remodeling space, whether they're in windows, doors, design build or whatever, they like that same challenge. They like the mechanics of putting something together. They like standing back and looking at it completed and then starting that process all over again. So as you look out, Vince, to 2019 and you're trying to kind of make some, sort some things out out there, what, what is this marketplace? What do are, what are these tea leaves kind of say to you moving into 2019? Well, I think we're still on the up. You know, I think that um, we might see, you know, I'm sure everybody listening and most of your listeners have had a good year in 18 whether it be top line, bottom line, or bottom line, or just overall um, company growth. I, I think we're going to continue to see that in 19. I also think that, you know, and there's other people that have said this, and, and one of our friends has said this, Brian Elias, but you got to at some point decide if you're going to listen to the noise or just make it happen. And an entrepreneurial spirit is the guy that will blindly walk off the cliff and take the risk and hope the parachute works. And if we share that same, while we have to listen and be wise to make sure the parachute's packed correctly and listen to the, the, the you know, the, the scholars out there of what's going on in the industry, we have to still be willing to take that risk. And I think that despite what we might see going on in the media today, despite what we might see what's just happening in the stock market these last few weeks, I look at the business and say, and this is kind of how we made it through the recession was, if we were doing business strictly in Orange County, California and 50% of our business fell overnight, which it did. I just walked over one city to LA County and picked up my other 25% there. And so I was, or my other 50% there. So I was back whole again. So you really have to look at your business that way and be willing to take that risk and, and just literally make it happen. So I think we're, we're definitely the next few years. This is a, a great opportunity. I think there's people spending money. I think that um, people are looking at remodeling the housing market's tight in most of the country. So I think we're really, really poised for some good continued growth. So as you look out, let's say to 2019 and maybe in a little bit of 18 or 2020, uh, what, what, what keeps you up at night? What, what kind of has you tossing and turning? Well, you know, I kind of look at, I think a big part of what's going on, like we all know is the labor market, you know, the labor market's tight. I think that we do see a lot more media attention especially with what's going on in the White House. We see all this stuff going on. I think we got a lot more outside things coming in at us, giving us doubts. Um, but I think that our challenges are going to be continued labor challenges. I think the guys that are going to make it tr through the next few years to bring in the staff they need to support their businesses, they're going to have to have more programs than just paying a guy a fair wage. I see my staff, and like I said, we have close to 500. These guys are looking for opportunities. They're looking for growth, tra tra growth paths. They're looking for, you know, if I'm making X today, how do I make Y tomorrow, and how will you help me get there? So I think the more we can as a company or as an industry show these guys this is how you can make a good career in this business, we'll attract that talent. The challenge we have is, this industry of carpentry, remodeling, or what, whatever we, we do in the home, the amount of money these people can make, these tradesmen, compared to other industries, is very high. 
yet nobody realizes that. Nobody realizes that you can literally make a very, very good living with a very, very low college education. So we have to get that, that word out there and we have to let people know that, you know what, maybe a four-year degree is not for everybody. Maybe getting into the trades and understanding the trades and going through a, with a company that has a trade uh, training program would be the way that would be good for them. I think that's great advice because I, I do think that in our society that oftentimes we're you know, valuing certain things that aren't necessarily to kind of translates out to real success. So, you know, I'm a big believer, Vince, as you know, and certainly our relationship and conversations on, you know, different remodeling issues. I'm a big believer that a big part of success is not just, you know, hitting the home runs. It's not making mistakes. And, you know, I don't know any successful remodeler, any successful owner or president of a modeling organization that hasn't made some mistakes. So if, if, as you reflect back in the last, whatever, 20 years or so, you know, what's the biggest mistake that you feel either you or Reborn's made? Uh, growth, amount of growth per year. I think that we, I have looked at the staff in our company and looked at it and unfortunately have penalized them in a way because I looked at it and said, well, if I could do it, we should all be able to do it. Let's go do it. So when I go to push my team to reach the next plateau and they're not at my level, they struggle and I'm unintentionally putting them in an area where they're uncomfortable. So in hindsight, I would have done two things. The first thing I would have done was I would have hired for what I needed not for, for, I'm sorry, I would have hired for where I wanted to be rather than what I needed today. I spent a lot of time in the business hiring what I could afford, where I was, with people that were already at or had been at where I was, not where I was going. And now we're in a position where we look at the business and we say, let's hire the guy that's been there, not that we have to take there. And I think that what that's done is it's taken the weight off our shoulders because we're no longer carrying any as many people. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that I made is, is in hiring and really looking at what we're doing. The second mistake would be the amount of change in a period of time. So we brought in a lot of separate divisions and products and things. And with that comes all the developmental programs you need behind that stuff. And if we're not able to keep the wheels turning as fast as we need you to keep up with the front end, we have problems. So I think I probably would have taken a step back and said, you know what, let's do that today. Let's do that other one next month rather than putting it all together at the same time. Got it. So pace of growth and certainly kind of how much change, you know, the team and the organization can, can deal with at any one time. So Vince, you know, I know, you know, there's a tremendous amount of folks that listen into this podcast series that, you know, are either, you know, early in their kind of career in terms of remodeling, or maybe they're, you know, literally a fraction of the size that Reborn or you are, but, you know, really have a yearning to grow and get bigger or 
you know, take their business to the next level. So if, if you were mentoring or coaching, say, one of those organizations, and I know it's hard to speak kind of generically like that, but if you were giving some tips out there, you know, to someone that really wanted to take their business to the next level or grow, what, what, what would those tips be? Well, unfortunately, the first thing we'd have to do is probably de-brainwash them or brainwash them into understanding that the business they're in is sales and marketing. And they're not in the home building, the kitchen remodeling, the window company, the roofing company. They're in the sales and marketing company. So that's number one thing we got to get understood is what business are we in? The business we're in and the product we do are two different things. So the second thing is once we decide and can understand that we are in the sales and marketing business is now we got to understand our numbers. And we really got to look at, like I said earlier, what's the smallest gear we have and what makes it spin? And can we replicate that process over and over again? So we've got to know our conversion ratios and marketing. We have to know our, obviously our cost of goods. We have to really, really, really know what is the smallest component that makes our business go forward. And if we can define that and remember that we have to always focus on, and it, sh and it actually shouldn't even be sales and marketing, it should be marketing and sales. If we always focus on marketing and sales, that will allow us to make sure that we're not having to run back and forth between installing and then coming back to sales and, and doing this teeter-totter effect that we can just create a machine. Great advice. You know, I think that is uh, so true that I think a lot of people think of their businesses as the product, the sticks and bricks, and not necessarily kind of that whole notion that it's really generate it's all about generating opportunities leads and then it's all about you know being very proficient in sales and moving it forward and then it becomes more of a system or process to really see the kind of results so let me ask you this question vincent you know you can certainly expand on it however you like but you know oftentimes when i look at different businesses and owners out there you know there's certain businesses and owners that quite frankly, just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And there's others that are grinders that just grind and grind through it. And they kind of build their success, you know, as a result of that hard work. How do you kind of see that blend for, for you and Reborn? You know, how much of your success, how much of Reborn success is just knowledge and hard work versus, you know, kind of being in the right place and having a little bit of luck? Well, I think with, you know, I'm sure luck plays a part of it, but, and I, and, and, and you use the term grind, but I kind of look at it more that we look, it's, it's like a chess game. And the more we can look at the, at what we're doing and try to be four five, six steps ahead and know the end result, it kind of takes all that stress away, that anxiety away, that having to get up and grind through it. You know, I do work a lot of hours. I mean, you know, on the East coast, I start my day extremely early on the West coast. And I do that because I enjoy that, not because I have to do it, but I actually enjoy that. So, but what I, what I, what I, the reason why I'm able to enjoy what I do is because I try to stay many, many steps ahead of where we're at. And I think that's kind of what has helped us be where we're at is we don't grind through it. We don't force it to happen. We strategize and we plan for it to happen. Well, I love your metaphor of the chess because, you know, I think that the more you start to think of your business and the strategies and the tactics that you're doing in your business as 
kind of a chess move. I think the more that you can really, you know, make sure that you're thinking through that, that, that process properly. So Vince, let me move to, towards kind of the end and, and certainly, you know, I want to get you to have an opportunity to kind of share any final tips and thoughts, but, um, you know, anything else that you want to share as, as we're speaking to this large audience in terms of, you know, kind of keys to success or, you know, just a little bit of gray hair kind of things that might help them? Sure. Well, it's going to be a lot of gray hair. But um, <laughs> what I, what I, the, the one thing I'll share is, and I see this, you know, and I'm sure you do, and I'm sure a lot of the people listening experience this every day is we have to make sure that we're able to step out of the situation and look at it objectively. And what I often see, and I've seen it in our own business with other people involved in our business, is we make radical decisions with little information. And we make those radical decisions because we are in a panic mode of some situation that's going on. So what I will caution everybody listening to is, when you come up against that situation of you feeling panicked is you need to take a step back. You need to look at it objectively. You need to call somebody in the industry that you can trust as a trusted advisor. And you got to make sure that the decision you're making is well thought out rather than just being reactive. Excellent advice. And it's certainly a, uh, a great way to end this. And I would, you know, encourage certainly those out there. If you want to reach back to, me, Mark Richardson at Remodeling Mastery. If you have a question with Vince Nardo, he's again with Reborn. They're in Southern California. You can certainly reach out and send him a note. But, uh, you know, Vince, this, is, this has been a real pleasure. And I think those that, uh, you know, hopefully have a chance to really reflect or even pass this along uh, to other people that they can certainly benefit some from some of your wisdom and advice. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you. If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. It's available on all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.